We all know about the top buffs, the top dogs at Colorado that they brought in in the transfer portal class this offseason. But there are a handful of them that have the potential to be top dogs that are being overlooked. I'm going to talk about those guys today on today's episode of Locked on Buffs, and I'm going to preview how good they could really be. You are Locked on Buffs, your daily podcast on the Colorado Buffaloes, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? This is Locked on Bus. I am your host, Kevin Borba. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about underrated Colorado Buffaloes, guys that haven't been getting the attention they deserve. Um, we're going to talk about their production ranking and where they stack up against other Pac-12 teams because you guys have been asking me about that. And then there's some more conference realignment discussions to be had. Um, so we're going to do that as well. But before we do, I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Bus your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Okay. As we all know, Colorado's brought in 51 transfers, which is quite a lot. Um, they have brought in so many transfers that people are kind of forgetting about some. I think we forget about certain guys who maybe were either brought in earlier in the process or guys who maybe got overshadowed um, throughout the throughout the process. So my job, or what I'm doing, <laughs> is I'm going to talk to you about the Colorado transfers that I think could kind of are going under the radar, are being overlooked, but could, emphasis on could, have major potential to pop off this next season. Um, up first, um, this one is, I think you guys were excited when Colorado got him, but I think after that, the excitement has kind of faded. Um, I think there was some replacement, or not replacement, but the other transfers that were more enticing at this position maybe, um, but Savelle Smalls, the Washington um, edge rusher transfer. Let me tell you. Has he lived up to the expectations at Washington? No, not at all. Um, if you were to base his career at Washington off of his high school rating, you'd probably consider him to be somewhat of a flop. But there's a reason that he was ranked as a top 30 player in the country, a reason that he was a five-star recruit. He has the intangibles. He just needs an opportunity to put it together. And I think he will have that opportunity at Colorado. And I think he's someone that could help Colorado um, get to the quarterback. Um, realistically, I've talked to coaches around the Pac-12 and they said the best way to combat this quarterback play and prevent them from airing it out down the field is bringing them to the ground. Um, the hardest part at, for a defensive lineman or a linebacker or whoever's rushing the quarterback is to not get pressure on them. It's to bring them down. Um, some of these quarterbacks, especially now in college football and, and football in general from the part, quarterbacks are great athletes for the most part or they're better athletes at the very minimum. So they know how to not get brought down. Um, I think back in the day, we were used to quarterbacks that were kind of just statues. And if the pass rush come in, they would kind of just concede and fall. Quarterbacks nowadays are faster than wide receivers are faster than running backs. Um, not every quarterback is, but some of them are. And so the best way to combat their ability to beat you with your arm, their arm, is to bring them down. And so I think Savelle Smalls, who was one of the top players in the 2020 class, could really build um, get stronger and have the impact that he was always supposed to have, but just hasn't had yet. Um, so Savelle Smalls is my first one. Um, let me let me go down to staying on the defense side. Brandon Gant. Um, I think when we when Colorado first got Brandon Gant, the excitement was through the roof. He was a Florida State guy, um, kind of hybrid, but Florida State's brought in or Florida State. Colorado's brought in more safeties. They brought in. They have a couple linebackers, and so I think Brandon Gant has kind of gone 
under the radar, kind of not unnoticed, but I think he deserves more attention. He's versatile, has experience, and when you're as versatile as he is, he could play linebacker. He could play safety if he needs to be. I think he kind of, if they could channel like an Isaiah Simmons role for him, um, if you guys remember Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, that would be perfect. Uh, I don't know how that fits in this defense, and we'll we'll tell we'll be able to tell once he and the defense take the field. But um, excuse me, I had to cough real quick. Um, I think Gant has the opportunity to kind of emerge. I think him and Demoy Kennedy are both linebackers that have a lot to prove, the skill set to prove it, and now they just need the opportunity. And I think he'll have that, um, obviously in in Boulder. Um, looking at some other transfers that Colorado brought in, um, let's talk about, and this one, this one is one that you guys are probably more excited about than, um, than anything is Shiloh Sanders. A lot of his attention goes to his brother. A lot of his attention goes to Travis Hunter, Travis J, uh, Vito Tisdale, Roderick Ward, Cameron Simon Craig at safety. But I think Shiloh Sanders, um, realistically, I think he's someone who could start and be quite productive. He was all swack first team a couple years back. Um, he has the intangibles. He has the skill set. Um, he has everything that Colorado, I guess, needs in the backfield or in the backfield, in the secondary. Um, it's just a matter of if he's able to compete. I mean, he's going to be able to compete, but if he's able to win the job outright and kind of fend off the other guys, because obviously Trevor Woods and the other safeties I mentioned are coming as well. So, that's it for the defense. Now, looking at the offense, um, I think, and maybe this is part of my own doing, I guess, as well, um, a transfer that I think had some hype, but kind of the hype kind of fizzled because of later additions, Kavosi Smoke. Obviously, Kavosi Smoke was the projected starter. Um, it was kind of viewed as his his backfield. Uh, that was until they landed Alton Caskill. And so I think people are kind of assuming that now that it, and myself included, I think Alton McCaskill's it's his job to lose. Um, but I think people are assuming that this means that the Kovosi smoke era um, is done, <laughs> which it's not. I think it's, it's going to be a different role than what we initially imagined, but he's a powerful, fast running back who realistically um, he has the potential to kind of provide that perfect one, two punch for Colorado. And that's something that the buffs bad, they need um just to kind of take the pressure off the offense the passing game the passing game is going to be strong but you don't want to only have to rely on the passing game at all times because that makes it life a little more difficult it makes life a little bit more um high stakes every time you get the ball um so that's that's my first one on offense my second one and this one i don't know what his role is going to be um i think We've talked about it, and you guys always get on me about it. Um, I think there's a there's a trend, um, realistically, in the Pac-12, or in the Pac-12, in Sean Lewis's offense. He uses about four receivers. So I've already narrowed it down. I think these are the four. Um, I think I this is like the one thing that you guys always agree with me on for the most part. Jimmy Horn, Xavier Weaver, uh, Travis Hunter, and whatever capacity he's in, and Javon Antonio, the Northwestern State transfer, who's like six foot five, built like Calvin Johnson. Um, but if there was a receiver that I think could kind of step in, have like a, a lightning in a bottle type of role, it's Jalen Ellis, the Baylor transfer. Um, didn't put up big numbers at Baylor, but he's a grad transfer, um, experienced guy, veteran guy who I don't think he transfers unless he believes that he could play. And I don't think he transfers to come uh, 
watch guys run routes while he just sits on the sidelines. So I think he has the potential to kind of emerge and be someone to maybe provide a spark every once in a while. Um, maybe a cross a slant over the middle, a little jet sweep or something. Obviously that's, those are things that Jimmy Horn could do, but defenses are going to be keyed in on Jimmy Horn. So you want to be able to have more weapons at your disposal. Um, so that, those are the guys that I think could realistically all make impacts. Um, let me know below in the comments who you think is a guy that is being overlooked that deserves more attention. Um, but before we move on, I need you guys to know that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. I'm telling you, home runs, they're always at a premium. Um, runs against the A's, I guess. You could take the over because I feel like teams have been blowing them out. Um, so don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Okay. We've talked about underrated buffs. Now it's time to talk about production. Um, I was asked a while back where Colorado ranks in production um, because you guys are very adamant that you don't have to gel. Um, gelling is a is a farce that I've made up, apparently. Um, but PFF, which is, they have a lot of analytical things, they released their um, ELO, ELO rankings, which is the combined grades for every team's offensive, defensive, and special teams output for this past season. Um, Obvious, obvious, obvious. Excuse me, my mic came unplugged. Um, obviously, it's not really like a an opinion. It's just based off of the fact statistics. So um, this is where Colorado ranked. Um, Stanford, 102. Um, obviously, Troy Taylor and that company lost a ton of it. They lost pretty much everything. Um, they lost a lot to the portal. They lost a lot to the draft. Colorado came, comes in at number 96 in the country. Um, obviously, they have a lot of transfers coming in. They have a lot of m moving pieces, if you will. Um, makes it a little more difficult than... Um, I think it can be difficult, but I also think it could work out. We'll, we'll find out once we get there. Um, I think Colorado's transfers, while they're all obviously new and there's that gelling period that I still think we have to focus on, um, they realistically have a lot of talented guys. Um, Cal ranks number 88 in the country. Um, Arizona, 80th in the country. Um, and then let me just, this is them combining grades for, um, so this, to better explain it, pro football focus uses a metric called ELO, which measures grades for each team's offensive, defensive, and special teams output. So obviously you would like to be ranked higher. Um, it's all based on realistically like it's based on how much production you're getting from your team. Um, the output, which is obviously production um, Cal 88 in the country, um, Arizona 80th, like I said, 73rd Arizona state. Obviously they got a lot of new people, but they have a lot of experienced people. Washington state 57 top 60. And then the rest of the teams are all within the top 40. UCLA is top uh, 38, Oregon state's 30, Washington 21. Um, they're kind of one of the trendy picks to uh, win the Pac-12 and maybe crash the playoff. 
And then you look at a team like Utah, who's 15th. They're looking to three-peat in the Pac-12. Um, Oregon's at 12. Um, they're looking to kind of take that next step and maybe compete for a playoff. USC, number 10. And that concludes the list. And so what does this tell you about Colorado? I think it just tells us that we don't know what to expect yet, which we've kind of been thinking about this whole time. Um, it tells us we don't know how good the buffs can be, but the potential's there. Um, I think Coach Prime and his staff, which is one of the most underrated staffs, and it's criminally criminally underrated. Um, they have two of the top 20 coaches, uh, top assistants in college football. Coach Prime is obviously a great football mind himself. Um, anytime you're the goat at something, I feel like you have a lot to offer. And so Coach Prime has a lot to offer there. Um, they have talent everywhere. They have potential. They have the coaching. It's kind of kind of a, a positive upside thing if you're a Colorado fan. So even though we don't have a lot of production to go off of, um, we do know that Colorado's got the talent. Um, so, yeah, you got to be excited if you're a Colorado fan. Um, obviously, when, they, when you stack them up to other Pac-12 teams, the Pac-12 is probably in the midst of their strongest year ever <laughs> um, right now. So that also is a tough comparison. Um, I think realistically, the Pac-12 is probably going to have at least three or four teams vying for the, excuse me, vying for the, um, the Pac-12 championship. I don't know why that was slipping my mind real quick. I was, I don't know why I was struggling to keep, think of that. Um, but they're going to have a bunch of teams vying for the Pac-12 championship. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, but obviously, uh, We'll have to wait and see. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the latest on conference realignment and why it's so dependent on the Pac-12. Welcome back. We're talking about why the Pac-12 plays so much of a role um, in conference realignment. Obviously, if you didn't know, the Pac-12 lost USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, um, which was a shocker to them. Um, when programs leave a conference, um, it's really it's in the sense that they or they do so in the manner that they pretty much get everything done before they leave, unless they have to go through like a regents like Colorado. They, they can't just spring it on the PAC 12 that they're leaving. It has to go through a public vote. So everybody would know um, USC and UCLA did not do that, um, which UCLA did get in a little trouble for, but they figured it out later through some money at the problems. What's new. Um, but the PAC 12 is now, looking for a new media rights deal, which the Big 12 kind of jumped them in line and made their life a little more difficult. And the Big 12 also expanded, um, possibly taking away um, or making it, putting more pressure on the Pac-12 to expand. So front office sports wrote about the situation. Um, this is a this is a breakdown. ESPN has shown little interest in renewing the media rights deal with the Pac-12, and then more schools could depart, obviously, if the deal is not good enough, with Colorado being one of the programs that everybody kind of has been pointing at as a program that could leave. Um, I would like to touch on the ESPN has little interest part. ESPN is probably not going to be the main per or main partner anymore. Um, they're probably going to have some sort of package because I think they enjoy the Pac-12 after dark thing, but they're not going to be the main partner with the Pac-12, which is why they said that they will get creative, um, which I don't know if creative is a good thing as long as the money's consistent, but whatever. Um, and then this is Barrett Salee's take on conference realignment he says we're going to see a lot of movement since the pac-12 media rights deal is sort of all over the place we've seen apple go away we've seen the cw kind of go the pac-12 is a big time rest a big time mess right now due in large part to larry scott the former commissioner of that really sent this whole thing into a spiral 10 years ago yeah shout out larry scott i think people outside of the big tw outside of the pac-12 get annoyed when um 
they're they get annoyed with when, when Larry Scott gets brought up, and it's like he really was so bad at his job that yes, it's weird that we got to bring him up this far or this much removed from his tenure, but that's how bad at his job he was. Um, I think that he kind of re- really needs to, um, I won't say own up to it because obviously it doesn't change anything, but I still feel like the blame is fair. Um, so Salih continues saying, I think the door has opened for other conferences to go fishing. If the Pac-12 media rights deal falls apart or just aren't very attracted to some schools that might be willing to leave or want to leave, then the Big 12 start, might start making some moves. Then you're going to see the Pac-12 make some moves, and the Mountain West probably make some moves. So then he was obviously talking about if geography matters. Obviously, it doesn't matter. To the Big 10 in specific, I don't think it matters to the ACC, partly because they're locked into their deal. For the SEC, I guess it matters a little bit traditionally because you want Southern football to be Southern football. The, only, the SEC is the only conference that could really rely on geography because they happen to have like most of the really good college football programs. Um, it's just how it works out. Football is different in the South. Um, it's no surprise there, but if you're the SEC, why do you want to add a slightly above average team or program? If it doesn't help you, if the SEC wants to go get Oregon and Washington, which might be two huge fish, is it even worth going all the way to the country going across the country to get those two teams? Probably not. Um, he also talked about whether the power five will break away from the NCAA, which I think is interesting. He said it kind of already happened. The financial disparity between the power five and the group of five is just so big and it's only going to grow. The expanded playoffs are going to allow a little more success to some group of five teams, but they still don't have those TV deals. They still don't have the distribution that the main conferences have. So if we're talking about them being lack suitors for the Pac-12, what does it mean for the rest of them? Um, So I think obviously the Pac-12 wants to do good for themselves, but the group of five kind of needs the Pac-12 to do good as well, because if the Pac-12 isn't able to scrounge together a deal, then what does that do for the Mountain West? What does that do for the American who, for comparison, I think they're off the top of my head. I want to say each program in the group of five, like say the American, I think they make like 5 million per school. The PAC 12 is out here trying to figure out a way to make 33 million per school. Like it's just not the same. You're comparing apples to oranges. So if the PAC 12 is able to find success, it likely means that these other conferences will have um, the chance to find success as well, which makes life a lot more difficult when you're thinking like, okay, the Pac-12 needs to do well so these other conferences can do well because the Pac-12 has been trying to fin- focus on themselves and they need to focus on themselves because, like like I said, the Big 12's coming, the Big 10. I don't think the Big 10 is pressuring it as much because I don't think that, one, they don't really need to, and two, they don't want to be responsible for the death of the Pac-12 even though they kind of kicked it off with by taking USC and UCLA. Um, so that would be interesting. I also want you guys to keep a lookout for, and obviously this is into the future, What happens with USC and UCLA in the future? Are they going to like traveling um, as much as they have to for the Big Ten? Um, Because I think the one thing about the Pac-12, while they aren't really in a position to make sure that geographic location is at the utmost importance, I think that's kind of one of their biggest issues is that they want to expand, but they want to do so with programs that are somewhat close, so that way it's not a financial burden. So when I bring up a school like Tulane as a possible um, candidate, it makes it it's hard to really see if the Pac-12 will add them because Tulane obviously is so far away. And so even SMU feels like a stretch geographically. Um, so that's why the Pac-12 is in a very peculiar situation. Um, if you guys want to stay updated on the situation, you guys know to come here to Locked on Bus. We talk about all the latest news on Colorado and the Pac-12. So make sure to like, subscribe, share. I appreciate you guys and all your support. Um, 
We got new episodes coming out every single day. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. You guys have a great Tuesday, and I will see you guys tomorrow where we talk all things Deion Sanders. We're going to be talking all things Colorado, so you won't want to miss that. I appreciate you guys. Have a great Tuesday.